0: The Akkad and Coca Report, episode
1: 130.
2: Welcome to the Akkad and Coca Report, the podcast dedicated to making sense of healthcare, from policy to economics, from evidence based medicine to ethics. Join us as Drs. Michelle Akkad and Anish Coca diagnose and treat the latest epidemic of healthcare absurdities.
0: Hello, and welcome to this special episode of the Akkad and Coca Report. We have the pleasure today of having Dr. David Howard. Dr. David Howard is a, a doctor specializing in obstetrics and gynecology. He is not here to talk about gynecology, but rather in the wake of the murder of George Floyd and the mass upheaval uh, that's taking place around the country, uh, he is here to talk about uh, his journey uh, in America as a black man, as a black physician. I apologize in advance for the audio quality Um, David was uh, at a coffee shop during the uh, recording of this podcast. Please do bear with us for what was a very insightful conversation. So welcome, David. Thank you for uh, coming on.
1: Thanks, um, Anish and Michelle. Um, Yeah, so first of all, a little bit of introduction. Like I said, you know, I was born in the Caribbean, born in Jamaica lived there for 18 years and always wanted to be a doctor, came up to the U.S. Um, my first home was the dorms, So I just, I came straight up to the United States, to Hopkins for, as an undergrad. And obviously, you know, kind of a cultural adjustment, um, but I ended up staying at Hopkins for 12 years. Um, did undergrad and then stayed on for MD, PhD and, um and my Ph.D. was actually on a woman's health topic. And so that's kind of how I ended up in OBGYN. I looked at the birth outcomes of women who deliver while incarcerated. And so after that, I did residency. Um, my final, I was in uh, University of Missouri, Kansas City. And then from there, 2012 or 2013 is when I graduated was kind of an interesting time. NIH funding was kind of up in the air and a lot of the programs I applied to were kind of holding back. So in the end, I ended up joining the military. It is what it is, but you know, I don't regret it. I, I got something out of it. And then from there on came to Nevada where um, I'm the direct, uh, director of research for a fellowship program and also had a small clinical practice within that same practice for a few years. The last couple of years have been mostly on the academic side, um, and then now about to head back to the East Coast to take up a more traditional, full-fledged, you know, academic medical position.
0: All right. Well, great. So, uh, and so you've been, uh, you've been, uh, so this is basically since undergrad, you've basically been, been um, in the us in some fashion or the other that's great yes yeah so so we'll get into it we'll get right into it, david what um what are your thoughts on um on what what's been going on now i, I you had a great thread uh, part of the reason you're on you're a very thoughtful guy on on twitter um and you know in, in an uh, in a time where uh there's a lot of um how do i put it uh kindly a lot of um Shall we say obloviating and hot air type of hot takes? Um, you know, you're you're clearly somebody who has very uh, thoughtful uh, thoughtful insights, and so you had a thread yesterday um, where you know you started off talking about your experiences as a black male double doc small business owner. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about your perspective of uh, of what's been happening? So I think that there
1: are two separate questions that sometimes get conflated so question number one is there racial bias or racism and question two what is the role that that plays and i think sometimes unfortunately some people they they either conflate the two or they kind of go off the rails in one direction or the other so it is possible to believe that racial bias exists but simultaneously believe that it is not necessarily the biggest problem that's afflicting a particular group. Um, and, and, and that's where sometimes, like I said, sometimes that's where the conversation kind of goes off the rails. So, I mean, my take, do I think that there's racial bias? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've, I've been in situations where, I mean, I strongly internally feel have felt in those situations that you know if if i were a white male in the same situation it would not have happened at the same time i've benefited a lot from being in america i mean i'm a business owner i went to johns hopkins one of the best med schools in the country um and so on and so forth you know and so i feel like you know we've got to kind of step back and and kind of really think you know, what is really, the, what, what are some of the bigger issues at play as opposed to just kind of saying it's all. So my, my, my problem with a lot of the conversations is that we tend to be reductionists and try to say the problem is all because of this, the problem is all because of that, you know, and in reality, it's it's more complex, you know, like for example, yeah, just use one thing as an example. So for example, a lot of people will say that, oh, you know, 70% of, you know, African-American babies are in single-parent household. You know, that's a common statistic that people throw out. But then as if that is, as if, if we were to reverse that tomorrow morning, all the problems would end. And and even if it would, like, well, how do you fix that, right? Are we going to force, you know, African American women to go marry everybody, you know? So it's like you've got to kind of step back and realize that. I mean, it's more, it's more complex. It's more multi-dimensional, and you know, so that's kind of why. Because in reality, I mean, as we can probably all three agree on this, is that a lot of the ways that we've been approaching this problem. Or, what we think is the problem in this scenario um, that led to everything that's going on is, I mean, it hasn't been very productive, as you said. A lot of blowing, yeah. a lot so, of people, yeah. So, right. David,
0: you, so you brought up something, you know, you brought up something very interesting. You brought up those two questions. Um, but what? And you have a really unique perspective because you grew up for your um, childhood in Jamaica, is that right? And and then at eighteen yes. you came to this country. Um, yes. So I mean, uh, Jamaica is a predominantly, uh, you know, is it, almost entirely black. Correct. There's a small minority of, of whites that are there. Is that accurate?
1: Uh, well, actually, in Jamaica, the second largest group is Indian.
0: <laughs> yeah. Right. 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 So black yeah. and then uh, black and then Indian. Correct.
1: Yeah. 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 Kind of like Trinidad, although Trinidad has more. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, Jamaica has obviously it's mostly black, overwhelmingly. Yeah. Yeah. Then I think the next major uh, ethnic slash racial group yeah. would be actually Indian, and then very tiny amount of um, yeah. people of European descent.
0: That's what some of my Jamaican friends. I always I always joke with them uh, that I take credit for uh, how good the Jamaican uh, you know goat curry is. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> <laughs> but
0: um, but 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 you know you grew up in a uh, you grew up in a in a in a country that was, that's predominantly black and uh, ostensibly. Uh, you don't, you didn't face racial bias because of your skin color um, uh, in in Jamaica, is that Is that?
1: Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, so my journey has been interesting because to be honest, I had to, I had to learn what it means to be African American, you know, because when I first came, I really wasn't, I mean, I was a Jamaican immigrant. It's not the same thing, you know. My parents did not live through the civil rights era like my true African-American colleagues who have been here forever, their parents, their grandparents, their great grandparents. I mean, their history and and the stories, the culture, the history that has been passed down from generation to generation for my African-American colleagues who, you know, I call them true African-Americans in the sense that they've been here for hundreds of years as opposed to folks like myself who just migrated here 20 years ago. Um, so when I first came, I mean, I really didn't understand. I didn't understand a lot of things. I mean, I didn't understand affirmative action. I didn't understand it. Because again, were you, coming from a... Go ahead.
0: Were you automatically treated as a... Um, could you tell that you were being treated differently when you came here?
1: No, um, not initially. No, not in my first several years. Um, because I, you know, I was on the Hopkins campus. I, I just acted like everyone else. I mean, I didn't. I mean, I, I kind of a weird thing to say, but if I was treated differently, I didn't notice it. Let's put it that way. Um, the, but the one thing I did notice was my environment was obviously different because now the biggest thing I noticed when I first came was that I went from being in Jamaica where all my teachers were black to now being on the campus of Johns Hopkins where the overwhelming majority, probably in the 80s percent were whites and then of the remaining 20s percent were Asian, you know? So I had very few black uh, professors And that was the most major change that I noticed. But beyond that, it it took years before I really kind of assimilated to really understand some of what my African-American colleagues, because I remember when I was at at Hopkins, you know, there was, I remember to this day as an undergrad, there uh, there was one day where there was a walkout in support of affirmative action and i remember i was in class and a lot of the african-american students you know got up and left and i remember not getting it you know i didn't get it at the time you know but over time you know i've obviously assimilated and and learned and obviously i have a more nuanced perspective now you know
0: do you do you feel like there was more um opportunity um I don't want to put words in your mouth. Do you, do you feel like there's more opportunity in the United States? Is that why you came to Johns Hopkins? You know, why not stay in Jamaica where, you know, ostensibly you didn't, you wouldn't face, I mean, is, is that talked about in Jamaica that, oh my goodness, when we go to America, we're going to get treated, you know, we're going to get treated differently. We're going to be treated as second class citizens. Is that, is that something that Jamaicans feel? Not
1: really. I, I think, I mean, it's hard to say um, and, and it, and it's probably changed now that there's enough Jamaicans who have migrated to America and lived here long enough. So, for example, I mean, my aunt and uncle, I mean, they came in the very early 70s. Um, you know, so that's now 40 years they've been here. And so, you know, they, I think things have changed. But no, when I was growing up, we were mostly focused, to be honest, on the economic opportunity. So, I mean, my parents, my aunt, who I came up 40 years ago, applied um, for us for green cards. It took a long time to get it because we were not her, it's my aunt, not my mother, you know? So when you have a, when somebody who is not your direct parent applies for you for a green card, it can take a long time. So we actually waited 10 years from the time of application to when we got the green card and it just so happened that when we got it I happened to be 18 it's kind of just the way things worked out.
0: So you know it gets to that original question that we started uh, that you start. that you know you brought up uh, you know is there systemic racial bias in the United States it, is it a fair um, is it a fair question to ask uh, that if there is uh, the level of systemic racial bias in the United States, which would result in in the um, you know in the in the in the conflagration that we've just seen with multiple cities kind of you know um, kind of boiling, if you will, correct? And there's so much rage. I mean, you know, folks are incredibly upset. Um, uh, is it is it is it a fair question to ask if there is such a massive systemic racial bias in the United States where? Where the color of your skin determines, you know, what happens to you. Um, why is it that, you know, uh, that, that that it seems like, uh, you know, uh, black men from Jamaica—not just black men, black black uh, men and women from Jamaica—are are, are you know trying to come here from the 1970s on um, uh, because the economic opp- opportunity afforded in this systemically racist society are, I guess, more than what they would be in in you know, Jamaica, which is you know predominantly black, is that a fair question or is that
1: No, it's a fair question and I think you know more than one things can be true at the same time. so I think you know it, like I said, and it actually goes ties right back to my my initial separation before we went on air. Um, Is like I think there's two questions at play. number one, is there systemic racial bias i think there is i think in certain statistics for example i think the best statistic and again you know there's you know they i I think there's a cliche that says there's there's lies damn lies and statistics you know um and i'm a statistician too so um that's what my phd was in was in epidemiology but anyway um i the the most telling statistic i think is in the area of uh arrests for and prison sentences for drug use and when they've looked at the criminology data and looked at um you know white americans and black americans who are arrested for the the same crime i mean they have noticed systemic difference in sentencing and you know you, you can't i mean how do you explain that and similarly um just even the probability of being arrested for a particular drug there you see there's a system of disparity you think about the disparity between crack cocaine and um between crack and cocaine again um a disparity so are there systemic disparities that fall along racial lines there's definitely ample evidence to support that but there's a parallel question. And the parallel question is, is that the reason for all of our problems? Is that on insurmountable, you know? So just because there is a bias, it doesn't mean it's not surmountable. And so to me, that's the bigger question. It's not whether there's bias. I think there is. I mean, we're human and, you know, some people argue we all have bias, but I do believe there is systemic bias along racial lines in certain areas. However, the question is, is that, the, is, 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 is that it, is, is that us, can we just reduction, can we in a reductionist manner, just put everything to that? And I, the reason why I, I try not to do that, even as I acknowledge it, is because if we, in a reductionist manner, just say, "Listen, all of our problems is because of systemic racism," my fear is that we'll, we'll never fix anything. Right. You know, <laughs> and that's my fear. <laughs> do
0: you, do you, is your thought that um, you know you? So the idea is clearly if you if you you know if you belong to a certain race skin, color that uh, you know sentencing for instance as you're saying is, is very different um uh is, is there any uh, you also followed up by saying that you know we're human we have biases um is there are there biases that exist that um is it reasonable to have biases when it comes to certain to certain groups of individuals like should we should we have biases or or how should we meaning if we're looking to have a constructive dialogue and figure out how to make things better I guess the idea is to have fewer biases when it comes to groups of people but is that as you pointed out you know it's a human thing to have to have bias Um, we have biases about lots of things we have biases about what men can do what women can do we have biases about you know, in, in, within India, for instance, um, we have biases about different groups of, of people. We have, we have biases. Well, in the United States, we have a bias that um, that I remember as a college kid growing up. I came to the country when I was uh, ten years old um, uh, from India to Pittsburgh. I uh, went to college. I remember, um, you know, uh, we, we had certain. Uh, we I played for. A, I played a lot of basketball, and uh, we had a, we had this fraternity. Um, organization where 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 that where for whatever reason, well not for whatever reason for for obvious reasons the way they were broken up was there was like an Indian frat there was like a Korean frat there was you know, a was frat that was mostly Chinese and there was like a frat that most of the kids were Muslim and and Pakistani and so you know those were the different basketball teams right um, and 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 they and we all you know we played for three or four years in the same in the same league once a year everyone and and we all we all attributed personalities to those teams we're like oh you know kusa man those the korean squad uh, man, those guys are like incredibly tough and these guys were you know they're a little soft on defense you know and so we kind of generalized to the group I i don't know that you know obviously it's never right to you know individuals can can obviously stand out among groups but meaning there were certain characteristics for the so not not to be i hope i don't nobody gets upset with me but you know the, the chinese the group of chinese were a shorter were were generally the shortest group that was there right um koreans were, were the heaviest group that was there again i'm not <laughs> i'm not generalizing i don't want to get in trouble but just you know there was these certain th- you know stereotypes that 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 kind of came up and and so we we were bi- we had biases like i am sure that, you know that was that's the bias that you know you have and that's your lived experience and stuff is it reasonable to have biases about groups
1: uh, yeah, I think, so here's where I think the distinction comes in and I think this is where, this is probably the point that I think um, a lot of black Americans try to make, although I, I, I should be careful to speak for anyone but for myself, but I think the distinction comes in like this. Yeah, we all have bias, but when there's an asymmetry of power within a country, it doesn't matter which country it is. When you have multiple groups in a country, but one group distinctly and clearly has more power, then their bias has a lot more effect than um, the bias on the part of the of, of the other group. So, you know, I mean, let's 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 use I mean let's use tall people and short people as an example. So let's you know stay away from race for two minutes. So Let's say you have a hypothetical country and, you know, there's, you know, 70% tall people and 30% short people. And let's say that all the political power in that country is in the hands of the tall people. Now, let's say that the tall people in the country hate short people. And let's say that the short people hate tall people. They both have biases. But now in that country the bias that's present on, on the part of the top people who have all the political power, it has a lot more effect. So I think that's the, I think, an emphasis on the word, I think, that is where, uh, that is a subtle point that I think a lot of my African American colleagues are, are trying to make, is that it's not that black people don't have biases and only white people have biases, but when a lot of the The judges, the senators, the presidents. We've only had one black president, every other president. We haven't even had a white female president. It's been all white men. Um, Judges, a lot of, you know, et cetera, et cetera. A lot of the gatekeepers of our institutions, even though we're very diverse, um, you know, black, Asian, et cetera, et cetera, as you go higher up, the diversity decreases and we still have a lot of the institutions in America that govern our lives are still, I mean I mean it's just a matter of truth. It's still heavily, you know, white males. And so the the biases on the part of those individuals are gonna have a much more dramatic impact, that in but, my opinion. But most yeah, of in the my, yeah, yeah.
0: I understand. I understand. Um, most of the but the population is 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 mostly white, meaning you know um, blacks or African Americans are, uh, are uh, uh, blacks I don't know, are thirteen are you know thirteen fourteen percent of the total population. Um, is it a is it a reasonable expectation that in order to see change, we have to see? Do we expect the majority of people, or do we expect a representative portion of that? And will that fix things? Because when I grew up, I grew up with I grew up with this. You know, I grew up watching um, many of the heinous stuff that you know young Americans grow up seeing in terms of the the history of racism that uh, kind of um, is so deeply part of the American story. Um, and you know, obviously, you know, civil rights movement, Martin Luther King. Um, we've seen you know america was segregated until not long ago you know the the guard had to be uh, called out to to um you know to integrate uh, schools and whatnot so um and, and and since then um you know there's been just in in, in the time i've been alive uh you know there's been a, there's been a what appears to be a significant shift in that establishment power structure right um and again I, this is just one one thing to pull out but you know when killer mike um, I don't know what he is. Why? Why is he a? I don't know what he is. He's a rapper. It must be some type of entertainment person. I don't. I don't know who Killer Mike is. You're muted. You're muted. Sorry.
1: He's a rap artist.
0: Oh, he's a rap artist. Okay. So, so when Killer Mike was speaking, he gave a very powerful speech um, after the Atlanta riots um, or Atlanta protests that turned a little violent, um, uh, and he was he was flanked by um, by the mayor of Atlanta and the police chief of of Atlanta. Um, and again, you know, just in, in the sixties, this would, this just wouldn't have been, you know, this is exactly what you to describe, but now the Atlanta mayor is, is a, is a, is a, you know, black female, uh, black woman. And, uh, you know, she's standing next to the police chief who is a, who's the first openly gay female, uh, police chief, Minnesota, where this happened, right. Um, you know, the mayor is a, is a, is a black man. Um, Baltimore, if you go down, you know, Philadelphia, uh, the, the police chief is, is is a is a black uh, is black. Um, the prior mayor Jim Street, um, you know, was black. Um, does it not seem like in uh, certainly in urban in urban areas where uh, the black community um, has a higher you know, percentage of the population that the power structure isn't white anymore? The power structure is black. So why is it then that we still are talking about, why is it that we still talk about the same problems that we talked about, you know, 30 some years ago?
1: Yeah, and that's a brilliant question. And I mean, that is the honest question that I don't feel like we've ever, um, you uh, you know, it's interesting America used to be, and again, I didn't grow up here, so I have to talk from a historical context. There obviously used to be forced segregation, but now what I see in America is actually, and again, a lot of people really don't want to admit it, but what I see in America right now, which I actually think is dangerous, and we got to figure it out, is voluntary segregation. Um, So we don't have forced segregation anymore, but we, we still, we have a lot of self-segregation. If you look at, if you look today sociologically at the way Americans voluntarily decide where to aggregate in terms of living, even in our school system, we're actually starting to see actually a lot of segregation. It's not forced, but it's voluntary. And Sometimes I wonder, you know, is, is this really a good thing or not? Because, again, are we uh, how uh, are, are we solving the problem that we've been talking about? Or you know, uh, you know, and so going back to your original question, in urban areas where blacks have self-aggregated, um, so it, I mean, it's not a coincidence that the overwhelming majority of the black population are concentrated in certain areas, right? That's not an accident. That's a, it's a combination of a little bit of a history, but also a voluntary distribution, you know, it's, it's a combination of both. Um, And, um, and so, yeah, in those areas, yeah, the power structure is definitely different. So why are those areas, some of the areas hardest hits for with a lot of societal ills you know um and and i don't i mean i'm not going to pretend to have the entire answer to that i mean but but that is a question we need to answer is why is it that even in the most densely populated areas by densely populated i mean areas with enough african americans where they can have political power or have political say i mean if you're if you're more than 25% of the population in a local city i mean you can have a big impact on the outcomes of elections and so on and so forth you know um and there's certainly you know a number of african american cities where their representation approaches yeah. that threshold yeah but i don't but it, know you know yeah
0: it's a tough thing it gets to this point about um you know you know you understand you understand the rage and the, the rage completely from you know uh, the the 19 the 1960s. This, you know, over on down. I mean, 1970s. You know, there's this. As you're saying, it's this. It's this feeling that like, uh, you know, there's a lid being placed on by, by by a power structure that that that's not that's not black and that 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 may be biased. But are we saying that you know all these folks are? I mean, now that the power structure seems to have shifted and and certainly many of the major areas. You know, what is it? But but here, getting down to um, getting down to uh, you know what what. You know why we're having this conversation is because of the kind of the heinous, atrocious thing that happened to um, George Flo- George Floyd. Um, it, 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 do you feel you know, you've been here twenty years? Do you have you felt that? Have you felt the uh, the, the, the kind of police um, mentality, or, or, or do you feel this kind of systemic issue uh, uh, when you have interacted uh, with the police as as a black Hi. man here?
1: um uh fortunately i um i haven't had a lot of you know so so one of my one of my fortunate flaws is that i actually tend to drive very slow (laughs) and so (laughs) you know some people criticize me for it a lot of my friends do they're like david why do you drive so slow (laughs) so well the the. The side effect of me driving like an old lady a lot of the times is that i don't you know i don't I never get caught the speeding, and so I haven't had too many i mean the honest truth is I haven't had too many experiences with the police period you know my end my denominator is is so low it, it would be a little bit dishonest of me to make any conclusions where I've seen more of the biases is. Actually, in 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 my encounter uh, as an adjunct in the academic world, mm. and and that's where I started to see, you know, as as a medical student, resident, I, I I felt certain biases, but at the same time, it comes back, you know, and I'll keep driving the point home, you know.
0: Can, can you? Are the you? The question you, is not what. Can you hear me? Do you want to do? you want to elaborate on on those? Yeah, that's what I'm those, saying. Oh, okay, on those biases yeah, on, what and saying. what you felt as an professor, Yeah. Yeah, that's what
1: I'm saying is you know, I, for example, I felt subjectively that when my white colleagues were residents, I felt like when they made mistakes, I felt like the consequences were less severe. And again, that's a subjective opinion. And you know, I you know, I'm going to freely admit that it's a subjective opinion. But, you know, what I want to get at is, is a solution. And so the question is, you know, how did I approach those situations? Yeah, I felt I, I felt subjectively at certain points in my educational journey that I was maybe treated a little bit more harshly. But at the end of the day, my approach, and again, I'm just speaking for me, I can't put words in anybody else's mouth, is I just tried to look at the bigger picture and You know, my thought process was not everybody is like this person who might be treating me this way. And I just need to survive. You know, I need to do my best. Um, And the reality is that America is a big country. There's 50 states, you know. It's a huge country. And so, you know, the, the beauty is that I mean? Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to paper over the concerns of other people, um, but it's it's a large country, and one of the benefits of being in a very very large country is, if one area sucks, I mean, you can technically leave. You, you, you go to another area you know
0: how do you how do you know when and i and i i talk about this or, or i don't know if I've specifically talked to anyone about this on the podcast but I've thought about this uh, that you know when in talking to um, our female colleagues and uh, they feel they they frequently feel this this brunt of um you know how they're treated differently because they're women uh, both by colleagues and and, and the wider uh, medical audience and I've always wondered um how do you how, how do you know that how do you know that it's, it's, it's your gender or your color? Um, is it, is it, I mean, as you're saying, it's pretty subjective, right? Like, how do you know that the person just doesn't, you know, I, I, through my, through my career, um, uh, my abrasive nature has, uh, you know, not endeared me to quite a few, uh, quite a few people. Um, and so, uh, you know, and I, I don't, I'm not, how do, how do you, how do we know that it's not, how do you know it's not you? And how do you know they are actually, you know, reacting to you based on your color? Because a lot of times, at least in, 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 in our circumstances that we move through, you know, which is these like kind of polite circumstances in, you know, medicine, whether it be academia or whatnot, um, you know, the, the, the racism is not overt, correct? They're not, they're not calling you, you know, specific, you know, racial epithets, right? Um, it, it's this, it's this kind of thing that you feel I'll, I'll just give you one example like when i when i started um when i started um when i started a practice uh, um in in this in this hospital system um you know I, I, it was weird because i was i was it felt like i was you know this this everyone everyone liked me blah 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 and then and then i kind of started on my on my own and suddenly like there was a little bit of a change in perspective and tone and again i'm you know i'm indian I, i'm i'm brown um and a lot of the folks that are surrounding me are are are, are not um, and I remember thinking that is this i wonder if I was part of their tribe I wonder if i went to their you name it church or synagogue or whatnot right um w- would they would they treat me the same way because and and you know and I've always tried to reject that uh because I, I just think that you know i i'm you know i'm somewhat of a competitor if you will you know and so yeah so they're not going to be as nice to me as you know when i was in in training and running around you know doing uh doing all the dirty work and you know kind of helping them get home quicker right so um so but but i but i i think you you can i i i certainly could see an alternative place that i could get into which i think would be just mentally bad and i don't i don't want to dwell on that i don't want to kind of i want to give them the benefit of the doubt and say that you know these are folks that that you know thought X, Y, and Z of me at this point. The reason they think this of me now is not because of my skin color, or not because I don't go to their church or synagogue, but it's because of, you know, we're just you know, this is business, and you know, there's no, don't you know, don't get your feelings hurt, have a thick skin type of thing.
1: No, I mean, I think yeah, you. I mean, there's. It's hard to 100% know all those. Sometimes you can't have you know, uh, thoughts and strong thoughts. And, you know, you might sometimes be right and maybe occasionally, maybe you're reading to it. One thing I think, you know, one comment that my second year resident made to me when I was an intern, and it's one of the few things I remember from residency, <laughs> but it was very profound and he, he said, He said, David, whenever anyone criticizes you, search for that kernel of truth. A lot of times, yes, they may be over-embellishing, they may have a bias against you, but search for that kernel of truth and try to fix it, you know? And I remember that because, you know, I mean, what he was really getting at was that Yeah, sometimes when people criticize you, it's gonna seem like they're coming after you harder than other people. And in truth and in fact, he was actually acknowledging that indeed that's gonna happen, that probably happens. So he wasn't denying that sometimes when you are criticized, it might seem unfair and even a lot of what the person who is criticizing you is saying might be too much, maybe they're going too far. But his, his point um, was search for that kernel of truth. And, and I think what he was saying is, don't focus on all the things that they're saying that are probably overkill, that are, it's clear that they're going too far, you know, and they tell you that you're the worst resident in the world. I mean, you're not, you know? So don't focus on all the things that are probably, an exaggeration but try to figure out if there's a kernel of truth in the criticism and use that as a way to to to, to be better and and right. that's kind of been my personal model going through medicine as a trainee and even as I'm attending is you know when people hit you with criticism don't get so hyped up about maybe the extreme things they're saying fine and and he, you know he was because he was he was trying to comfort me after i got beaten down by my chief you know <laughs> right right, right, so,
2: right. So, the, so,
0: the, so yeah
2: sorry michelle go ahead. go ahead yeah david um jeff jeff uh sorry if i'm i'm being too personal jeff have children are you married Do you have kids no 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 okay uh i mean is that a possibility or is it i mean is it something I'm, I'm trying to i'm i'm wondering i want to see it from you know your perspective what what would you think about raising black kids in america today what what do what you think the consequences might be would that be a, a preoccupation that i think would be you know would, would would burden you more than than it does you know other folks you know from the i mean how how do you see that
1: well, it's it's a little bit hard for me to give a really strong opinion on that because, you know, I've never raised any child. Right. So I've never really had to deal with, I've never had to deal with the school system. I've never had to deal with, I've never had to mm-hmm. deal with that. So I don't know that I'm the What best about person. your extended,
2: your, your family, have your family here, you said you mentioned you.
1: In different places from them, you know, because my parents moved to Florida and I was in Baltimore, you know, right my aunts and uncles are in new york so for much of my academic life i've been in cities where i don't really have that many relatives um just because of my academic journey
0: i see okay so, david when it comes to this idea of um, um you know not not knowing for sure right and that's part of this part of the conversation when it, when we start speaking about um uh, police um Police brutality and, and systemic bias. Do do you do you believe, based on talking to your, I don't know, not based personally because you know you you're, you're, you drive twenty miles under the speed limit, <laughs> but in speaking to the group of your group of friends or your circle of friends that are black, um, do they is is it pretty obvious that that's the case? Would you say?
1: Yeah, I mean, pretty much. I mean, I. I mean, I would say that the people that I know that, um, I mean, I think they fall into two categories in terms of the police. Either they have been lucky, like myself, in that they haven't just, their denominator is small in terms of number of encounters with the police, that they really haven't felt it that way. And then a second category of my African-American friends who have felt it, you know, either because they're older or just, you know, just chance, but, you know, so, but definitely, yeah, I mean, I have uh, colleagues, acquaintances who have definitely had their share of experiences with the police that they feel, you know, was either almost or overtly, you know, profiling. And, and so, yeah, I've definitely had people I espouse that
0: it's you know it, it's such a tough thing to, to to or it seems it seems tough to it seems tough to parse because um you know when when you look at um uh, the number of um unarmed um black men that have been uh, shot by the police fatally um in 2019 for instance there were there were nine uh unarmed black men that were that were shot um uh shot and killed um there were there were 19 uh white whites that were shot and killed um of those nine that were unarmed, uh, that includes um, you know that includes scuffles, um, fights that broke out between the police and then th- that includes you know somebody who was in a vehicle for instance who was who may have been trying to uh, you know injure a police officer and, and they were shot and killed in, in that process. so the actual number of you know it, it almost feels like we, 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 it's such a, it seems it's such a rare event. Um, in terms of uh, fatalities um, that we know their names like it's in it's in the it's in the it's right i mean tamir rice um uh, um you know george george floyd trayvon martin and trayvon martin wasn't by the police but uh you know eric garner um so see these names are in the public conscious right um yet yet you know over the um or you know yet over the you know the the, and i I know this is brought up all the time i'm not the first one to bring this up but i'm curious to your thoughts as to why it's it's fair or unfair yet you know over one memorial day weekend in chicago there are 41 mostly black young men that 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 are that are killed um you know is it a fair statement or is it incendiary somehow to say that you know the most dangerous person to uh you know a young black man um in america is not the police but Uh, another another black man Uh, most of the homicides and most of the aggravated assaults etc in those neighborhoods you know that that in these homicides that happen it's usually it's usually black on black violence um
1: yeah yeah no that's a good point and 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 what a lot of people need to realize is that um so i i agree in the broad sense that there's there's bigger problems at stake and again i I always get, you know, a little wheezy when we play reductionist because life is never that simple. I mean, if life were that simple, uh, we would have solved everything by now, you know. But in terms of, I think what we have to remember first is, in terms of white Americans and black Americans, they mostly live in areas with mostly people like themselves. That's just natural. And so... The reality is that most crime in America is intra-racial, not inter-racial. So, you know, I, I feel like a lot of people keep talking about Black-on-Black crime, but most murder victims of white people are, are, are by white perpetrators. Most murder victims of Black people are by Black perpetrators. That's just, that's a, that's a statistical reason. So we, I kind of, I, th- I feel like we're being a little bit distortionist when we keep saying black on black crime, as if it's unique, when in reality, most white folks who have <clears throat> homicide die at the hands of other white folks, you know? I mean, it's just because most white people live in areas with white people. So, you know, when white people commit murder, the victims are mostly white. When black oh. people commit murder, the victims are mostly black. You know, that's just the way it is. It's, it's not... So I, I, I kind of, I, as a statistician, I kind of cringe a little bit when I hear people talk about black-on-black black crime because the reality is that most crime in America that involves violence, um, so homicide is, or any other violent crime, most crime is intra-racial, And that has to do with the fact that it comes back to another thing I said earlier. Although America has ended forced segregation. If you actually study America demographically and right, look at the geography of America and just go from city to city to city to city, you're actually gonna see a lot of voluntary segregation. You know, and it's, it's something that I've noticed um, You know, over time as I've looked at the American geography. Um, there, there's a lot of concentration you know, and, and it, it stems into the school districts, um, you know, and so, it, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, that's, that's my thoughts, you know.
0: The,
1: um,
2: yeah, so, sorry, go ahead. Phil. Yeah, let, let's talk about that. I, I think you make a very good point um, uh, here, David, and, and I think we should be, you know, um, happy to, to, I mean, happy, but, but we we should, we should. Uh, let's say we we can see there's a lot of racism um and, and and so forth um you know one could say even if even if there were more black on black crime that you know people could say well look there's a lot of poverty among blacks and and that you know there could be there are historical racial reasons for that and so so i think you're not off the hook even if you if you point out that there's more black on black crime than they you know than than Otherwise, but but I think your, your point, David, is is uh, is really valid. Now, what I uh, uh, can you tell us from your perspective? Because on the books there are many laws, I mean, you know, s- starting with the Civil Rights Act, uh, that that try to correct uh, or to remedy to you know to to be remedies for these uh, st- systemic biases, you know, to 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 some extent. And do you find those helpful or or not or do, how do you think? how do you view them do you think the, the, that the laws that essentially actually identifies people on the basis of the color of their skins or their race you know there, i mean there are laws that compel businesses compel academia compel you know different things to act differently on the basis of people's races uh to try to remedy you know historical wrongs or to try to remedy potential ongoing systemic biases what's your view about that
1: um, I, I have two take. I think, I think a lot of people. I, I think sometimes I think it's overblown, and, and the reason why sometimes I think it's overblown is because the reality is is that even with all the affirmative action, the reality is that when I was at Hopkins, I mean, it, you know, I was ten percent black. I mean, we weren't overrepresented relative to in the population, I mean, the, the, the overwhelming majority of students at Hopkins when I was there were, were white in accordance with their representation in the population. Um, and frankly, there, there's a lot of colleges in America, even in large cities where the proportion of African-Americans is actually even less than 10%. And that's even with affirmative action in place. So I feel like a little bit of the criticism of affirmative action. I feel like it's over. It's like on an on a purely intellectual level, I understand what people are trying to say. But when I open my eyes and just look at the numbers, I'm like, I mean, if 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 African Americans were 13% of the population, and they were representing 26% of you know Harvard and Yale then you could argue, well, maybe this pendulum is swinging wildly you know, and unfairly in favor of African-Americans versus Asians and, and, and whites. But the reality, statistically, is not that. The reality is that even at the universities in America that are practicing affirmative action in its most aggressive form, we, at least from what I see, looking at the numbers, I don't see an overrepresentation of African Americans I still see a dominance when you combine whites and Asians together I see a dominance so
2: uh, no, I'm not I, sure I, I, actually yeah. I I agree with you I, I I think I agree with you on that but you know there might be two ways of interpreting it one is that it it's these you know laws are not effective enough and more should be done in that direction um or you might say listen this is sort of counterproductive and 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 you the point that you were making that you know there's this general tendency of of communities to sort of self segregate um isn't it possible that we um you know if if we let i mean there may be um you know, ways in which the, uh, I mean, if indeed these are different communities that have different cultures and different, uh, perhaps different aspirations and whatnot, that they, they should be allowed to to evolve and, and you know, in, in different ways. Um, and I'm not sure, you know, I'm, it's not a field that I have any, uh, uh, you know, knowledge about, but I'm told that there was, there was perhaps some vitality in african american communities uh in certain ways before the civil you know before affirmative actions and 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 in certain ways that has been lost by this attempt to um, to to sort of forcibly distinguish you know have the law forcibly distinguish people on the basis of their their uh their ethnic or their racial profile and and try to make the the corrections and if you know some people argue that the, the community would be better off um w- without that that it would you know that 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 certain laws are actually counterproductive precisely because um you know if, if there's system- systemic bias that's not going to it doesn't make the systemic bias go away it actually gives it a different form and and, and there may be reper- repercussions um from from yes. trying to to force these things that that um, you know are not to the benefit of the people that it ostensibly is trying yeah. to help.
1: Yeah, so you know, uh, actually, an example that comes to mind, and then I'll answer your question directly, is on a separate issue that's no less contentious, which is abortion. And you know, you know, before Roe versus Waste, a lot of people, you know, forget about history, but you know, before Roe v. Wade, there was actually an organic movement already occurring um, to liberalize rules concerning abortions. Um, And then, you know, even the great, you know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who is certainly no conservative, she's an unabashed, left of center, uh, Supreme Court judge, her record speaks for itself, her speeches speak for itself. She's clear that she, you know, it's clear she's on the left, she's an abortion supporter but even Ruth Bader Ginsburg um, you know, in one speech and I saw the quote once, she argued that Roe versus Wade paradoxically was bad for the pro-choice movements because it short-circuited an organic movement that was already on the way um, and you can kind of see I mean, she's a sharp cookie and she's very smart um and you know she's she's holding her own even in her 80s but you see it you see roe versus wade has become this flashpoint that would never have existed if it never existed If, if roe v wade had never been and instead the organic march state by state at the ballot box or through politicians at the local level, if the way that abortion became quote unquote legalized was through an organic process, sequentially state by state by state by state, yes, you might've had a few states still holding out, but in the states that it it would have happened organically, there would be no opportunity to have this flashpoint in Roe v. Wade, Roe v. Wade, Roe v. Wade, you know? So I, I, I use that as an example, similarly with affirmative action. I believe that the uh, affirmative action is trying to cover up a problem that started much earlier. And when I say earlier, I don't mean earlier in history. I mean earlier in the educational system. You know, the real disparity is really at K through 12. And so if, you know, if, if, if minority children and, and white children are going through vastly different K through 12 systems, papering that over at the collegiate level, to me, that's too late. And it's actually, again, I'm not, a, I'm not an opponent of affirmative action. I mean, if you put me in government tomorrow, I, I would not vote to end it. But my, my strong belief is it's too late. The, the problem is really K through 12. That's where intentional measures need to be, um, need to be taken. Um, because if you, you know, by the time a kid is 18 years old, if they went to an inferior high school and then now you're trying to paper that over, and kind of give them a little bit of a leg up so they get in a really strong school. I mean, did you really solve the problem, right? You probably but you, didn't. But if you, you know? if you
0: put, if you put, um, if, if you take, if you take uh, poor youth from poor zip codes, which unfortunately in America are disproportionately black and Hispanic, and if you just put them into, you know, if, if you bust them and put them into, um, you know, uh, good schools, would you, would you solve, would you just solve the problem? Is the problem just the education system that they're in? Um, look, I, 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 don't, I've looked, I, don't, I, I, don't. Go
1: ahead.
0: I looked at the, you know, the, the numbers, the numbers are, are, are relatively stark in, um, in Philadelphia. Um, the Philadelphia school budget is $3 billion per year for the Philadelphia school system. You know um, that, that, that generally, that's approximately $20,000 per student per year. Um, that that's being spent um, by by taxpayers on the Philadelphia public school system, which which is you know which which outcome wise does much much more poorly than the wealthy suburbs. Um, um, I, I live in one of those suburbs. Um, I moved to those suburbs partly because the school system was good, and I had the ability to do that. And uh, you know when you look at their budget and their numbers, you know the the, the gap in uh, per student spending is. Uh, is ten thousand dollars a year, uh, ten thousand dollars per student per year. So you know, we you know, the Lower Marion School District is about thirty k per student per year. Um, but but again, I mean, when you look at you know you look at the families that are in Lower Merion, you look at the families that are in in the in in the um, in inner city uh, uh, zip codes. Um, how I mean, how would one expect? It, it, it would seem very very hard to get equal outcomes simply by taking a kid. Or even taking the family and putting them in, you know, just displacing them to another—not displacing them, but uh, sorry, um, translocating them to, you know, a better zip code. I mean, that seems that that seems a tall a tall order and doesn't seem something that would necessarily work.
1: Uh, it, it, there's a, a a couple of factors, um, you know, number one. There is a history in the country, unfortunately. Again, a lot of you know sometimes history does come back to bite us. There is a history of uh, people in wealthier neighborhoods really not wanting those other people coming in. Um, there is a history of that, and it's clear. Um, I and so and I don't think it's going to be a magic bullet, but I do think, again, organically over time, if we really equalize the the, the the funding and the, the quality of teachers which is partially related partially related to the funding if we semi-equalize that if we really started to chip away at that again it's not going to be a magic bullet but i feel like systemically over time it would have an impact why are we so uh,
0: why are, why are we so focused on on equalizing um, on equalizing outcomes for different groups meaning um, I mean, there's, there's certainly not just in the United States, but in various different societies there, you know, in, in Malaysia, um, there's a minority Chinese population that, uh, that economically does much, much better than the, than the Malay, the local native Malay population. Um, yeah. So what is it about, so it's not just the, it's not just the case that the majority always suppresses the minority that makes sense. Um, it, it is the case that in many other countries and, and throughout history it's been the case that you know minority populations have excelled relative to their to their to their peers uh, you know uh, so and, and is, it, is, it, is it not the case that is it not the case or is it, is it again that inflammatory to believe that there are certain groups um, that may be may do things, may, may have different, may have different abilities, uh, uh, relative to a variety of different things. Meaning, um, why is it that in, why is it that Indian Americans or Persians in, 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 in the United States have, have, have somewhat of a different experience? Meaning, why is it that there are most of the, uh, uh, m- most basketball players are, are black with it? I don't think there's ever going to be an Indian NBA player. I almost had one a couple of years ago, but, <laughs> but I mean is, is it unreasonable to believe that over the over the millennia of, 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 of how things have gone that even if even if you took say you take you say you took the same indians okay the same indians with the same genetic blueprint right and i took and i took one group of indians and i put them on an island somewhere in the indian ocean right and i isolated them and then 200 years later i can you know we, we we mixed them together doesn't it doesn't it seem relatively obvious that that you would have two groups of of individuals that had different environmental selection over over years that and you have very different affinities and desires not not that there's any genetically inferior there's not there's no genetic inferiority that i'm suggesting but i'm just saying that it just seems a natural result and so why why do we always want to chase equal outcomes
1: well, that's a good point, and uh, what I would argue is that we shouldn't be chasing equal outcomes, we should be chasing equal opportunity, mm. um, and, and there there is a distinction, and I think that a powerful argument can be made that in many areas of the country, if, I mean, if the schools in if if the public schools in some zip codes are clearly you know they're they're not even getting the same funding so forget about outcomes yeah. they're not even getting the same funding then it's like but, they're not even starting off
0: yeah but well, that's the thing david in the philadelphia, same, in the philadelphia in, yeah go ahead in the philadelphia public school system we're spending three billion dollars per year on the philadelphia public school system that's i mean yes that's different than lower marion which is one of the most expensive school districts around but i mean we're spending twenty thousand dollars per student per year in the philadelphia public school system right i mean i come from i come from india Um, And my God, I mean, you know, uh, think about what, I mean, that's not necessarily a fair comparison with the developing country, but the, the, um, I mean, $20,000 per student per year is what the, what the spend is in Philadelphia. And we're saying that if we expand that, we're suddenly going to, I I, don't, I don't, I I don't know that these things are going to be magically fixed by additional, um, additional funding even. I mean, even if we fund school districts equally and, and, you know, it has to do with property taxes and how property taxes are, or, you know, are very different in the cities or so, but, but we still, the state funds, you know, it's not that, it's not that these schools, the schools are dilapidated, they're broken down, their teachers are, uh, are, I, I hear, um, again, I don't want to get in trouble, but I, I hear that the jobs in the, the, the public schools are, you know, more difficult and therefore, you know, the best teachers go to the, go to the wealthier school districts, et cetera. That's what, uh, at least I hear. So I, I hear all that, but even if you, even if you, you know, accounted for all that, it seems it seems a very tough, uh, a very tough road to travel in terms of uh, getting close to, you know, that equal type of opportunity that that we, uh, meaning is equal opportunity, the right to go to school, the, the ability to go to school, the ability to have shelter, the ability to, uh, you know, fulfill some of these basic needs. Um, but uh, it seems like the uh, issues are really systemic and deep when it comes to some of this stuff. Um, one thing we had talked earlier before we got off, Michelle. I meant to finish this thing. You know, we were talking about, um, about I don't want to stray too far from why we're having this conversation. We're having this conversation because of systemic, you know, police, possibly institutional racism that exists within the police force that results in, you know, um, uh, you know, kind of a, a heavy, heavy toll on, on the black community in the United States. Um, but you know, in and when we talk about, uh, you know, what it is that threatens, uh, you know, the black community, um, you know, it's the case that blacks die of homicide at eight times the rate of whites and Hispanics combined. So that, that's a huge number. Um, so, so I don't want to let go of that point of, you know, you had pushed back and said that, um, that, you know, blacks kill, Black on black violence, white on white violence, you know, it's because of the voluntary segregation that's happening, which is an excellent point. But but it's not but I think it's, it's probably not fair to say that the problem of homicide, uh, the problem of of, of of criminal violence that the black community uh, has done on, that, ha- that, you know, that carries a very heavy burden. That burden seems to be much, much heavier on the black community than it is on the white community. Correct. So so, so you know that's a big disparity. Eight times the black stop homicide eight times the rate of white and Hispanics combined. You know, I told you that you know the total number of unarmed uh, black men that that died at the hands of the police in 2019 was was nine, and and, and many of those were unarmed, but you know they were not necessarily unjustified, if you will. Um, uh, so, so again, you know, police shootings are not the reason that black stop homicide. So I'm trying to understand. Why is there this much rage then at what is frequently I hear on Twitter and elsewhere as, you know, a state-based kind of, you know, state-sanctioned murder of, uh, of, of, of a, you know, of a minority group?
1: Well, like I said, I mean, I think, you know, and, and it's interesting because, you, know, I mean, you know, I'm an immigrant, you're an immigrant, although you've been here a lot longer than I have. But I, I think, unfortunately, part of what makes it hard for both of us to fully understand, and we have to be honest in expressing that, is I, I think a lot of it goes deep. You know, I, th- I yeah. think it just cuts deep in a way that's not necessarily scientific. Uh, you know, not everything can be explained scientifically, but there's clearly, I, you know, you don't need a PhD in sociology to see that there is something deep. And it was almost as if, Mr. Floyd was, it was simmering and that was just the final straw, you know, that's what it seems like. I mean, yes, a lot of people are clearly exploiting it and that's sad because unfortunately, that doesn't help. Um, It doesn't help at all Uh, and, and that's one of the saddest things but at the same time, there's something, you know,
0: no, you're absolutely right. There's clearly a lot of anger, and clearly we have to do a much better job as a society in terms of trying to understand understand the rage and and hopefully have these type of productive conversations with nobody uh, yelling and screaming, uh, you know, at, at each other, which I think doesn't happen uh, often enough. So, David, I've taken up way too much of your time. We meant, meant this to be an hour, it turned into you know an hour uh, longer than an hour. So I really appreciate you coming on, um, and uh, thank, thanks again. I hope uh, I hope uh, uh, we I, I certainly found it incredibly. Uh, uh, productive and, and and great. So we will see you on Twitter. Your your Twitter handle is. Uh, go ahead, tell us. Obi Statzink. Obi Excellent. So so definitely a, a great follow because he has uh, incredibly Thank you. thoughtful. Thanks again. Thank All right. You. Take care.
2: Thanks for listening to the Akkad and Coca Report. Subscribe for free on iTunes or Stitcher at Acad dot com, where you'll find detailed show notes, our blog, and more at